Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Great to have you with us. Do you like mysteries? Well, I hope you do, because we begin today with what is clearly a man of mystery who's caught up in a web of shadows and intrigue, a think tank official with dual U.S. and Israeli passports. He's accused of being an unregistered foreign agent, working for China, brokering arms sales in Iranian crude oil. And there are new developments in the Department of Justice's eight-count indictment of the vanished, whereabouts unknown, fugitive whistleblower against the Biden family by the name of Gal Luft. There's no doubt Luft is technically a fugitive because the DOJ has indicted him. But he certainly looks like an innocent man who's the victim of the Marxist Dems DOJ who mean to shut him up. Luft says in 2019 he met with four FBI agents and two assistant U.S. attorneys in Brussels there to inform them how the Biden family was engaging in a scheme with a Chinese energy company, CEFC. Now, four years later, Biden's Department of Justice has indicted Luff for failing to register as a foreign agent, for working like Hunter Biden, for CEFC. All of this appears more likely to be a straight-out effort to silence Gal Luft for talking with congressional investigators about Biden corruption. The two U.S. attorneys he met with back in 2019 were Catherine Grosh and Daniel Rischenthal. They also now happen to be the two lead prosecutors who've brought the DOJ indictment against him. According to campaign finance records, both Grosh and Rischenthal have contributed heavily to Biden's 2020 campaign and the Democrat National Committee. Grosh made 35 donations in the 2020 election cycle to Biden and the DNC. Richenthal, making campaign contributions to the 2008 Obama-Biden campaign. Both of these assistant U.S. attorneys have investigated CEFC Energy Company since 2017. They were responsible for the prosecution of CEFC executive and Biden associate Patrick Ho. Ho was indicted in 2017 for trying to bribe two African officials on behalf of CEFC and hired Hunter Biden for a $1 million fee to use his FBI connections for intel on the case. According to court transcripts, U.S. Attorney Richenthal asked the judge presiding over the case to redact Biden's name from emails used as evidence. This is what they said, quote, our view is that the name of that individual is not relevant and could introduce a political dimension to this case that we don't think is worth dealing with. Letting people know that the case involved Joe Biden and his family certainly would have attracted news media coverage. But they were being awfully cautious for seemingly at the time, not much reason at all. There are 93 U.S. attorneys in the country. They represent the federal government Yet the same assistant U.S. attorney who protected the Bidens back in 2017 
is now the same man presiding over the DOJ case against the Biden whistleblower. Next week, we'll see a lot of big news from Capitol Hill on what the Congressional Investigating Committees have found out from their whistleblowers. Secret Service shuts down its investigation of the Biden White House cocaine caper, saying they can't solve the case, shutting it down in less than two weeks. No suspects. So they're shutting it down. Congressman Greg Stubbe, who's on the Ways and Means Committee, says the Secret Service does know who it is. Here's the congressman's reaction. That's a complete and utter lie. Uh, we, we know darn well um, any reasonable person would know where that came from. Second, uh, just so your, your listeners understand, I, I've been to the White House several times when Trump was president. And as a member of Congress, the levels of security checks that you go through to get into that building, especially the West Wing, is phenomenal. You go through multiple different checks, ID, social security numbers, bomb sniffing dogs, different security checkpoints. There's cameras everywhere. They know exactly where people are and when they're there. The only people that don't have to go through that rigorous testing and security protocol is the first family. So there's no way that somebody would have walked into an event at the White House with cocaine on them because they would have seen it through the multiple different sectors of going through metal detectors, having your bags searched, all of those different things. The only people that don't have to do that is the first family. And so now you have the Secret Service along with all the other agencies in the federal government right now that have been completely weaponized and playing defense for the Biden family. As they say, nothing to see here. Case closed. President Biden back from his almost week-long trip to London and Vilnius, Lithuania, for the NATO summit. On his way home, he stopped in Helsinki for a meeting with the president of Finland, the newest member of the NATO alliance. There, Biden was asked by a Finnish reporter about America's commitment to NATO. Here's the president's response. Uh, In Washington, a bipartisan group of senators has repeatedly failed to pass through Senate a law that would prevent future U.S. presidents from withdrawing from NATO without Senate's approval. What actions will you take to assure Finland that the U.S. will remain a reliable NATO partner for decades to come? I absolutely guarantee it. There is no question. There's overwhelming support from the American people. There's overwhelming support from the members of the Congress, both House and Senate, and both parties, notwithstanding the fact there's some extreme elements of one party. We will stand together. The American people known for the since the end of World War II and the formation of NATO that our security rests in the unanimity among European and transatlantic partner, us. And so this is, you know, no one can guarantee the future, but this is the best bet anyone could make. Uh, hearing this answer that no one can guarantee a future, are you worried that the political instability in U.S. will cause issues in the alliance in the future? Let me be clear. I didn't say we didn't guarantee it. We couldn't guarantee the future. You can't tell me whether you're going to be able to go home tonight. No one can be sure what they're going to do. I'm saying as sure as anything can possibly be said about American foreign policy, we will stay connected to NATO. Connected to NATO beginning, middle, and end. We're a transatlantic partnership. That's what I've said. Former President Trump is concerned about Biden's performance and his limitations. The former president says Biden is dragging us into World War III by sending Ukraine cluster bombs, and it gets worse. Upon boarding Air Force One, Biden went even further to say he's now open to sending Ukraine long-range missiles 
capable of striking Russia. No one can reasonably say President Trump has it wrong, Biden putting world conflict in high probability. Let's bring in our guest today to take all of this up. Joining us now is Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer and author, radio host, and China expert Gordon Chang. Gentlemen, great to have you with us to wrap up the week, an extraordinary week with the president at the NATO summit and all that's ensued. Gordon, your thoughts first on what did come out of the NATO discussions. It seemed like a lot of disappointment for a lot of people. Well, Sweden looks like it's going to become a NATO member, um, although Turkey right now is still dragging its feet on a number of issues. But we're moving towards resolution. And of course, if we look at the broader perspective, um, President Erdogan had actually blocked Finland also. But Finland now is a member. Um, and I, that's because of some um, coercive diplomacy on the part of Washington and Brussels. A uh, couple things about the meeting. One of them is that um, Ukraine, of course, is disappointed that it has not become a, a, a NATO member. But of course, it couldn't become a member in the middle of a war. But I think that President Zelensky is pleased that he did get um, some undefined security guarantees. Um, and those will be important going forward. Um, in the Nordic meeting, which is now just wrapping up, um, it looks like um, the NATO alliance really is solidifying, which is a good thing. Um, and again, in the broader context, uh, Putin has got to be disturbed that his northern flank is now um, going to be um, all NATO colored. So it is going to be a very difficult time for Russia going forward. His northern flank, the eastern flank, uh, as you say, solidified. We have troops, uh, over, well, well over 100,000 of U.S. troops uh, deployed along that eastern flank. The NATO conference takes place, the summit in uh, Vilnius, uh, in Lithuania, uh, bordering Russia. I mean, this is uh, could be construed as very provocative stuff. What do you think? Well, the, uh, the problem is that... Um for Putin is that NATO would not have come together were it not for Putin's threatening moves when you go back to Georgia in 2008, Crimea 2014, and of course the invasion last year. Um, these are sovereign countries, Lou, and they wanted to become members of NATO. Um, and we couldn't force them to, um, but they see that uh, because of Russian aggression, they really have no choice. So this, I think, is the result of uh, bad policy in Moscow. Tony? So I, look, I, I, I appreciate Gordon's perspective, but I, my concern is, and I'm not pro-Russian, that very things we're talking about being uh, very good news for NATO, I think is going to be seen to inflame uh, Putin and not only Putin, Russian uh, basic fears of being uh, potentially uh, surrounded by those uh, countries which do not sh share their interests. I, I'm not pro-Putin. I'm just simply stating that the Russians have a paranoia that goes back to, to Tsar uh, Alexander, I believe, based on some of the things that 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 happened uh, the prior cent prior two centuries ago, back in the in the uh, the nineteenth century, even before that. So. Uh, when you see NATO closing in based on the agreement of 1995, I think it was one of the agreements made to basically create conditions for Ukraine to be independent. Uh, when you when you look at that, the agreement was uh, we, NATO wouldn't move east. And it has things like that. 
play well to the Russian uh, public. And that's why Putin is so popular right now. A lot of the Russian uh, public believes that Putin is doing things to protect them. And if you can actually point to aggressive things by NATO, by those nations who violated agreements with Russia, Putin's going to win this domestically every time. And again, I'm not pro-Putin. I'm simply trying to, to call balls and strikes here. And as much as uh, I think this is uh, something that's, that's positive, some of the other things that, that Gordon said, I think, uh, do not necessarily bode well for Ukraine. And let me go through this real quick. Uh, there was no clear path given to Ukraine. Uh, member, the membership action plan, which is often the path forward for folks, was was basically said, oh, you don't need that. The only positive thing that they did to reframe the, the Ukrainian issue, as far as I'm concerned, is, uh, and Lou, I, I think this is laughable, as you and I would agree, I think, this is a bureaucratic move to upgrade the NATO-Ukraine study committee from a committee to a council. Oh, you know, now it's a council, not just a committee. And uh, while Gordon correctly said there was conditions and guarantees mentioned, nobody actually defined what the conditions are for membership, nor what the guarantees are going to be. Very dangerous thing. So leaving these dang dangling participles out there, uh, I don't think serves anybody well. And I think simply there's too many, uh, to quote my old friend Don Rumsfeld, too many unknown unknowns uh, to make me feel comfortable with what came out of that. But Tony, if we look at um, the broader context, um, if NATO didn't come together now, what would have been the message received in Beijing? And I think one of the important things here is that um, as NATO does solidify, and I agree with you, it should have, uh, you know, it, it should have done um, been more specific on stuff. But the point is that um, as Europe and the United States draw closer together, as we see a solidification of the alliance, as we see the alliance become more effective, um, the point is always going to be in Beijing. They don't want that happening to them. And so there is, I think, some beneficial effect there. Now, having said that, it's not good that France blocked the establishment of a NATO office in Japan. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're at a point right now where I can understand um, where we talk about, well, maybe Russia is going to be upset about this. But we're well beyond that right now because we're on the doorstep of war and we need to be making preparations um, to protect ourselves and our friends and allies. And we're not moving with the requisite speed. This is okay. one of the most dangerous periods in history. And there's a lack of appreciation of that in the United States, not only in the Biden administration, but across the American political spectrum. Well, Gordon, don't don't, don't take my comments as being anti-NATO. I'm not. I mean, I, no, said, I know. You know but I'm just saying, you know, I'm just trying I'm trying to give perspective from the Russian side that people need to understand that the Russians don't see things like we do at this point. Well, the Russians at this point are also making a lot of noise uh, from uh, from Belarus. Uh, mm -hmm. Belarus is now suddenly a very difficult uh, uh, puppet state uh, to to contemplate. It is uh, certainly uh, have, has nuclear tactical nuclear weapons have been shipped by Russia to Belarus. Uh, they're on the doorstep, if you will, of NATO. Uh, they are also right next door to the Baltic states. And the, the Kremlin is saying straight out, this is a very dangerous move that has uh, taken place uh, and uh, in Vilnius as a result of the summit. And it, it, it to me, augurs very poorly for constructive uh, pathways to try to resolve both the uh, war against Ukraine and uh, a way forward for the for NATO and a strong, uh, productive alliance with Moscow. 
Well, um, well let me, I'll jump in first uh, on this. Uh, the nuclear issue to me should be our focus. Um, one of the things that Russia has said, they're not going to lose the war. And to me, that's a, a kind of a, a dog whistle for saying, we'll use nukes if we have to defend ourselves. And, and quote unquote, defending themselves is a pretty broad uh, comment of policy. That I don't know if they define that, and I don't think they will. So the, but this is the problem with the current situation. The guy who has to be leading this is uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden, uh, and let me read, read you an article that came out last week, Luke, because this is re regarding Belarus and I think the overall situation. The Daily Telegraph in the UK uh, did an article, I think it was on Thursday last week before, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, for the time of taping, right. Right, before the, uh, right before the summit. The Daily Telegraph uh, article, the world's worst, dim worst diplomat, Joe Biden. Joe Biden has a well-earned reputation of being a crude, narcissistic politician who exudes incredible arrogance with limited understanding of many foreign policy issues. Well, this is the good news part of the article. He's taken a wrecking ball to America's most important international relationship. So my, my reason for staying at this point in our, our discussion is the very guy who has to be the adult in the room to actually help us negotiate and get back to being influential to prevent the potential miscalculations, which may lead to a nuclear uh, exchange, is a guy that nobody, that even our allies don't depend upon. And this is where I agree with Gordon that it was important for us to show resolve with NATO, but the guy who actually has to show up and do things thinks that Russia invaded uh, Iraq. And, and well, things like that is, is just not a good thing. Yeah, let's be direct. I, I mean, this would be akin, sending Joe uh, Biden to the, the summit uh, in Vilnius would be just as if the UK had decided suddenly to send uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, to the uh, the G20. Yeah. It makes no sense because we know better than to even remotely contemplate the idea that he's actually in charge. He is not. And his policies are not his. There's there's someone behind uh, the the curtain pulling all of these strings. We're going to continue with Tony Schaefer and Gordon Chang. What is China up to and just how embarrassed must President Xi be about his strategic partner in Moscow? We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're back with Tony Schaefer and Gordon Chang, and I want to just turn very quickly to the the issue for China. Now in economic doldrums, pressures are mounting across sectors and markets in China, as well as uh, a, a huge embarrassment 
with President Xi's strategic partner mired in uh, now a more than 500-day war uh, with a much smaller uh, nation that is, of course, Ukraine. What do you think, Gordon? Is it getting worse for Xi or is this transitory? I think it is actually getting worse for Xi. Um, one of the things, though, it should be much worse than it is, because going back to what Tony was saying about Joe Biden's leadership, um, the United States is not imposing costs on China for supply, supplying lethal aid to Russia. From the very beginning of this war, Biden drew a red line of China supplying such assistance. And from the very beginning of this war, China has supplied such assistance and is supplying even more now. Um, the Chinese know they're doing that. The Chinese know that we know they're doing that. And so what Beijing is taking away from this is that American warnings on Ukraine are hollow. And we know that when democracies issue hollow warnings, bad things always happen. This is how World War II in Europe started, with Britain and France issuing hollow warnings on all sorts of things, beginning with the remilitarization of the Rhineland in 1936. And we know that from the archives that Germany did not believe the warnings from London and Paris about invading Poland. So I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to start World War III in Europe because of Biden's failure to enforce his warnings. But I am saying this is extremely dangerous and anything can happen. And, and Lou, I, to carry on with, with Gordon's point, I, I couldn't agree more with his, his framing of the issue. One of the other things that I think uh, this administration, the Biden administration, has been fabulous in is making excuses for their own failures. Like Gordon said, they will not enforce the very policies if they're important to them. And uh, if, you, if you examine the Afghanistan format, how they uh, failed, I don't believe that failure was, was uh, accidental. It wasn't a failure. It was a, a planned demolition of, of the Afghanistan policy as well as uh, uh, leaving that war in a way that, that created chaos. And I fear the same for the Pacific. And, and let me give you something uh, to think about. First off, they've publicly acknowledged there's been 41, 41 draws from our strategic national stock. That is to say, and if we go to war, we have a very big military, as we all know. That military requires beans, bullets, and, and, and uh, high-tech weapons. We have raided the pantry, Lou, to the point of where uh, we have nothing left. Jake Sullivan's admitted this. Joe Biden's admitted this. We have nothing left for our own forces should we be faced with a contingency operation to go into uh, the Pacific, into, into Taiwan. And this concerns me. I'm sure Gordon shares my concern. But I don't think this is accidental. I think they have raided the pantry for purposes of creating a, a, a crisis within our own ranks for to, to use the excuse if they have to. Oh, see, we can't really defend Taiwan because we've already we've already given all of our stuff away. We, we don't want to jeopardize American lives by not being prepared. They have purposely made the policy of not being prepared a centerpiece of their of, of what they're doing. And this is why I think we need to be very concerned. And again, this didn't happen overnight. Uh, if people go back and look at the tapes, we've been talking about this for at least a year, about the fact that there, there was the appearance that uh, the Biden administration was using our muscle, our military muscle, to support a non-NATO ally. And I think now it's come to the point of where, Lou, if, if China, after, after Tony Blinken said, we don't care about the d democracy in Taiwan, uh, and now we're faced with uh, military... Uh, uh, lack within our own system that's been acknowledged, 
I, I am not a neocon, as I always say, but I don't believe in weakness that would, would encourage an adversary to be aggressive. And I think that's what we see here with this, this really wackadoodle foreign policy that the Biden administration has in place. And we are, are, of course, fully cognizant of just how impaired and what a puppet this president is. But we're left with, as you say, Tony, staring all of us in the face, a purposeful drawdown of the strategic petroleum reserves yes, and some of that oil going to the People's Republic as well, on top yep. of everything else. Yep. The Biden administration has not made a, a rational uh, or even a, a weak attempt at explaining to the American public why they've been drawing those reserves down. There is no need to do so. There is adequate oil. Prices are low enough. Uh, it's a very strange uh, position. But at the same time, the ammunition and the munitions that have been drawn down by the U.S. military, uh, this is irresponsible. And, and President Biden, this past week, making a clumsy, stupid remark about the fact we would we wouldn't be sending cluster bombs if we had more of the ammunition we really need but we don't exactly i mean i mean it's incredible that he made that that statement and even the military acknowledged it was uh, revealing intelligence that should never have uh, been released to the public uh, your thoughts gordon oh absolutely lou and um to go back to one of your earlier points um about the chinese economy I believe that um, war is becoming um, more and more likely, and it's the time frame for China is moving up. And the reason is we are seeing some dire numbers come out of China. So, for instance, on Thursday of this week, um, you know, the wrap up for the week, um, China's trade numbers were released and they were much worse than anybody thought. Um, exports fell um, something like 12.4 percent year on year off of a very low base in 2022. But even more significant, imports fell 6.8% year on year, again, off of a low base. Um, and imports, which showed domestic demand, have now been down for nine straight months and 10 of the last 11. And that shows the Chinese economy is contracting. This confirms very weak price data that has come out of China also this week. And so basically, Xi Jinping has a choice now. He can let the economy erode and let the Communist Party fail, or he can go to war. And while he's facing this choice, he's actually trying to pick a fight in the Philippines, in Reed Bank, uh, in the South China Sea, trying to seize those features from Manila. So um, this is one of those extraordinarily dangerous times where we could find ourselves in a fight immediately. Because remember, the Philippines is a treaty ally. We have an Article 5 obligation to defend the Philippines, and China right now is trying to break apart that archipelago. So this is a, a, a this week type of thing, not something that, you know, we can talk about in 2025 or later. Um, so, yeah, while the, the president is drawing down strategic reserves, as Tony said, we're getting closer and closer to actual combat. Well, that your your statement about time frames. We don't have a week. We don't have a month. Uh, going back to those hyster uh, historical uh, comparisons that both of you made uh, concerning European wars in, uh, you know, more than a half century ago, going back centuries, this the important distinction is not simply the technology, not simply uh, the, the power structure of the global order, 
But the fact is, there won't be a year and a half for the United States to ramp up uh, from civilian production to military production, munitions, uh, all sorts of advanced weaponry. That either we have it and we're ready to use it because this will be a flash war. I believe it will be a flash war because of hypersonic missiles, because of all of the forward positioning of tactical weapons as well as strategic ballistic uh, missiles. And I'm talking about nuclear uh, missiles, uh, of course, as well, because the United States doesn't have a conventional option uh, if we go to war with China. It will be without any doubt whatsoever in my mind, Tony, a a nuclear war. So that's one of the reasons we pull out of the INF Treaty uh, wisely, I believe. The INF Treaty being that which we signed in the late 1980s under Reagan, reducing the intermediate range missiles. And we, we lived up to that. Uh, unfortunately, the Russians and Chinese did not. So I think the tactical, that intermediate nuclear weapon that we did not have, that they do. So we've reintroduced that. And to that point, Lou, yeah, I think we have a real danger of having to deal with something we are not prepared to deal with. And um, within the context of history, the United States spent a great deal of time thinking through a war with Japan during the 19, uh, 1920 to 1940 timeframe. We do not have uh, similar strategic thinking going on right now that I know of in any military college or within any office of the Pentagon, which I am literally talking to former general officers about trying this to change. And I, I'm not convinced that the Pentagon wants to be prepared this time based on what I'm seeing. Whatever their motivation or whatever their capacities, it is two things are clear about this very dangerous, this perilous moment in which we live. We have the weakest civilian leadership of our military in this country's history. We do. We have the weakest military leadership in this country's history. That is not a, uh, anything less than an awful uh, thing to contemplate. We'll be back with Tony Schaefer, with Gordon Chang. Stay with us. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back now with Tony Schaefer and Gordon Chang. Gordon, let's turn to, to what seems to be a, a mixed signal emanating from Beijing. Uh, the bellicose rhetoric, uh, all of the uh, chest pounding that they've been doing. And suddenly she is talking about how important trade is, trying to convince and persuade trading partners that trade is critically important to China. Of course, he's right, but he's acknowledging it publicly, emphasizing it. And this now sounds like an entirely different path he's on over just the last three, four weeks. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. There's there's two Xi Jinping's right now. There's the one who is saying, I need foreign money. And, you know, in China right now, they're talking about this being the year of foreign investment because their situation now is dire. Um, and there is, you know, they've got structural problems that they can't deal with. Essentially, what's happening is in 2008, they decided not to have a downturn. So they embarked on what I think is the biggest stimulus program in history. And now they're having their 2008 and they don't know what to do. But at the same time, Lou, we hear another Xi Jinping. And for instance, um, last week, when on the day that Janet Yellen arrived in Beijing, which was the Thursday, Xi Jinping himself put on military green. He went to the Eastern Theater Command of the People's Liberation Army. That's the command that would lead the invasion of Japan, Taiwan, or the Philippines. And he gave another one of his, let's go to war speeches. Um, so right now, um, I think that we have a China which could probably start some sort of conflict because the Chinese leader realizes how bad the situation inside the country is. And just to mention, you know, Tony's friend, Donald Rumsfeld, Secretary of Defense, you know, Rumsfeld is famous for saying many things. And one of them is you go to war with the military that you have at the moment. And as Tony has just said, the military we have at the moment is not the military that we really want right now, because as you said at the end of last segment, this is not a time where you can actually do what we did in the 1930s and during the first years of World War II, which is to build up the military to fight that same war. As you point out, this is going to be a flash war. And and it's go back to 1991. Uh, that the last time the United States uh, won, clearly won a military conflict against uh, smaller uh, adversaries the Iraq-Persian Gulf War. And to to imagine that uh, we would have time to to position a half a million uh, service members uh, halfway around the world, I think is is pure nonsense. This country either has the, the sense to understand, our leadership has the sense to understand what these limitations are and what the responsibilities are, are we're in very big trouble. I vote very big trouble is what we're in because of the quality of the leadership in the military and the civilian leadership. And to think that uh, that Russia is going to just continue to put up with what is now, by the way, I should just point out, we've just got a, a, a wire in that Biden is now considering long range missiles being sent by the United States directly to the Ukraine. I mean, this is approaching outright madness, Tony. So, so I've said before on the program, I say it again because I think it's appropriate. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. That's what Sun Tzu said. That's what we see. We see being executed. We're just throwing stuff into Ukraine. Well, let's try uh, a tricycle. Let's see if tricycles will, will threaten the Russians. It's insane. It's it's without purpose. And I again go back to my original premise in the first segment of the show. They're doing this purposely to weaken us. They're just throwing stuff out there and hoping for the best. And I don't think they want to win. If you, you know, and I've said this, I'm, I am neutral. I, I don't believe uh, we should be supporting either side. But if you're trying, if you are one of those that believes we ought to be helping Ukraine win, they ain't doing it. They ain't, they purposely are not helping, trying to help Ukraine win. And I would argue that going the other way, uh, when you examine uh, the a lack of a focus on what we know we should be focused on, it's a, it, it should be concerning all Americans. 
uh, and as, as Gordon said, as you said, Lou, we during the the the, the between war years of, of 1920 to 1940, there was at least exercises done to examine what would happen. And as much as I disagree with much of FDR's policies, at least he had uh, allowed the military to move forward with being prepared to go to war. And and I know that he supposedly wanted to keep us out of the war. I'm not convinced he did, actually did, but they at least had put together contingency plans, something called Plan Orange was the, uh, the, the agreed upon res response that we United States would take should uh, Japan do something, we, we, it was effective. We actually had our military industrial might kind of ramped up and ready to go. By the way, that's one of the reasons we're so far behind is because Russia never fully abandoned a wartime uh, contingency for their economy. They, they're back on war footing and they're producing all sorts of stuff. We couldn't do that to, to your point and Gordon's point. We have no ability to generate uh, the an adequate amount of strategic materials or weapons or ammunition to actually meet the needs of the Ukrainians. Think about that. So this is the, this is the, this is not even a full war, and we can't meet their requirements. Let alone the idea that we would actually take on a near peer or peer as re regarding China. So we are not prepared, and I don't think it's by accident. I don't think we're weak by by inattention, Lou. I think we're uh, weak by policy. It's a policy to be weak at this point in time. Yeah, when when an administration uh, regime, if you will, the Biden regime, uh, annihilates the southern border, uh, invites in whoever would like to cross without uh, without any kind of inspection, uh, we don't want to slow anyone down as they go to work. You know, God knows where, as the Biden administration is is distributing uh, all of these millions of people that have come in in just two and a half years, and millions more expected. Uh, we also have a, a military that is facing 25 percent gaps in their recruiting. They haven't they're not getting the people they need. They're losing the people they desperately need. Talented, experienced service members, officers, non-coms, as well as enlisted who should be staying and they're leaving because of the ignorance of this administration. And this is this is a national news media that is complicit. This is a Republican Party that has been acquiescent. Uh, and all of this blame cannot simply be put at the feet of Joe Biden, although he is the principal actor. It is also the the Marxist dim led Democratic Party. And as I said, the quiescent uh, retiring uh, rhino Republicans uh, who have just basically knelt down uh, before these idiotic policies and lack of strategies. Your thought, Gordon? Yeah, I'd like to just pick up on what you said about the border, Lou, because you know we're seeing an unprecedented surge of Chinese migrants. You know, most of them are who they say they are. They just they've given up on China and they want to move someplace else. And, and, you know, these are not poor Chinese. These are people who can afford to pay $35,000 a head to the cartels, in addition to other costs of getting here. But among that group, Lou, are packs of males of military age. They're groups traveling in groups of between five and 15. Um, some are known to have Chinese military affiliations. They're pretending not to speak English. And some of them are engaging in Chinese military rituals. Um, and these folks are just being led into the United States. Um, I don't think there's any efforts to track them once they're um, 
let's say, get through the border processing. And by the way, we are starting to see Chinese migrants trying to sneak into Guam, where there are um, critical American military installations that would uh, be uh, involved in a war in Asia. So um, the Biden administration is just allowing these individuals to come in the United States. And these are saboteurs, I believe. These are the people who are going to be assassinating our officials, and blowing up our grid, poisoning our water, detonating bombs in shopping centers, releasing pathogens, and God knows what else. Well, Tony, uh, your concluding thoughts as uh, you both wrap up uh, our uh, this episode of the Great America Show. We appreciate you both being with us. Tony, take it away. So I agree with everything Gordon just said. We have to recognize the Chinese decided as a policy, the PRC has decided as a policy, they're at war with us. It doesn't matter what we think, it's what they think. And we are not responding adequately to understand there's an existential threat that we are ignoring. Um, and not only is Gordon correct regarding the immigration migration uh, into the country, illegal or otherwise, by the Chinese, the one thing that we continue to ignore that every Community in the United States is being affected by is what I call the mass weapon of uh, weapon of mass destruction called fentanyl. Not a single community is is has been immune from it. People are dying uh, in numbers that are unimaginable, and and to me that's an act of war. But it seems to me we're, we're only a handful of us are talking about the realities which we face rather than uh, the fiction that the Biden administration seems to be uh, uh, pushing on the American people. So I appreciate. The opportunity to be here with you and uh, with you, Lou and, and Gordon. I, I God bless you, Gordon. I always appreciate our time together on talking about this. But I, I wish, I hope, we can continue to try to wake people up to the real issues and threats we actually do face as a nation. Well, we're certainly going to keep trying. Tony Schaefer, thanks so much. Gordon Chang, thank you as very much, and we appreciate it. God bless you both. Thanks, Lou. Tony Schaefer, Gordon Chang, thank you both for taking the time to close out the week with us here on the Great America Show. Our guests next week include Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, former D.C. Police Chief Stephen Sund, who witnessed January 6th up close, businessman Chris Tagani, who went to prison because he donated to the Bidens, prosecuted by the same U.S. attorney who gave Hunter Biden a pass. Please join us. It's a big week next week. Follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs. That's at Lou Dobbs. And on Facebook and Instagram at Lou Dobbs Tonight. That's at Lou Dobbs tonight. And be sure to check out our all-new website, LouDobbs.com, for all your latest news and headlines. Thanks, everybody. God bless you. May God bless America. America.